Photo Shelter presents Vision Slightly Blurred. I'm Alan Murbayashi. And I'm Sarah Jacobs. Sarah Jacobs, uh, this year in mid-February, the Silver Eye Center Photography, which is located in Pittsburgh, PA, in partnership with Carnegie Mellon University and The Blacklist, created a new list called the Silver List. And the silver list is, uh, this year, it's a list of 47 extraordinary sort of up-and-coming photographers or photographers who've uh, flown beneath the radar. And you may or may not know if you're into the Hollywood stuff, the blacklist is uh, is a list of screenwriters and their screenplays um, that, again, have flown under the radar. And it becomes, uh, when that list is published, a lot of production houses go and buy those scripts immediately because they tend to have really, really great content. So this was the Silverless inaugural year, 47 extraordinary photographs. And when I saw the announcement, there was a Vanity Fair uh, article kind of talking about it. My first reaction was, ooh, is this going to compete with the 30, formerly the PDN 30, in terms of what it's trying to accomplish and the PR that it will generate for the photographers? What was your take after looking at the, the winners? Oh man, this entire list really excites me. There are so many amazing uh, photographers on this list I, and, and, and many that I don't already follow on Instagram, that I don't follow on Twitter, that I just don't know. Um, these are people that should be getting hired or be um, displayed, exhibited. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a really wonderful list. It's very different than what we've seen from the 30 in the past. Now this list was selected by 125 nonprofit photography curators, educators, scholars, publishers, and critics. And the one observation I had is that the style of work tends to be much more, I mean, I dare say arty, art Mm. museum-esque, art gallery-esque, and academic than what we've uh, tended to see from the editorial slash commercial work off of PDN's 30. Yeah, I agree. Um, some work that really stood out to me was the work of Elliot Jerome Brown Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, I The thumbnail just grabbed me. I went to his site and the colors in his images and the shapes within his images and the way that he layers people on top of things, beds, window reflections, beautiful like chandeliers, light. I'm just like, I'm obsessed. I love the work. I noticed that William Camargo, who we've talked about before, who just received his MFA in photography, was on that list. Photo Shelter member Alana Aratem is on that list. And, and you know, the, the work, some of the work is not just straight up photography, if you will. It, a lot of the work is using uh, photos as the initial medium. And then they do a lot of either post-production digital work or they're doing analog work with with kind of altering the source material and I think the list is cool. Like I don't, I don't think it's in direct competition with the thirty because of the types of photographer that it's unearthed. Yeah, I'm always a little weary of like, do we need another list? You know, <laughs> we've got, we've got the lit list, um, and we do have the thirty. But the way that this one is compiled, I think, you know, you mentioned that it's it's people in the nonprofit sphere, and so we're just getting. A different, a different entryway into the industry, um, a different look into the industry with these, with this batch of photographers. I'm into it. The one challenge I would say is that you know anyone can create a contest, anyone can create a list, but it's really hard to build consistent PR to get gallerists, art buyers, and creative directors to pay attention to the list when it comes out every year. 
So mm. I hope that the silver list can be one of these uh, really important lists in the industry, but it's kind of up to them to generate the PR uh, and notoriety that other lists like PDN, formerly PDN's The 30, have done uh, over the past couple decades. Alan, this week, everyone on Twitter <laughs> would not shut up about <laughs> Jurgen Teller's W photos. Did you take Ooh. a look at them? <laughs> oh, did I? What I noticed with this was on our blog, our photo shelter blog, that an article that I wrote last year about Teller mm. was blowing up. And oh. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> and so I went over to Twitter and I saw that a whole set of new magazine uh, covers was generated for best performances uh, in, in advance of the Golden Globes and the Oscars. And uh, yeah, I mean, my reaction to these covers were, was the same as my reaction to the images I saw from last year, which is basically what the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah, Teller photographed 28 actors, um, including, I mean, the, the, the greats, Tracy Ellis Ross, Jared Leto, George Clooney. Um, I think what he did basically was take them to a street uh, in LA and photograph them in front of a tree, a tree in yep. between parked cars, um, <laughs> sitting in folding chairs. It looks as though it's shot on maybe an iPhone, maybe the yep. newest iPhone, maybe a Canon Rebel. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. They just, they look extremely amateur. Um, there's not a lot of cohesion. I mean, there's not a lot of cohesion between the images in terms of like lighting, except for that it's all just natural and not manipulated in any way. Some people are in the shadows. Uh, yeah. Some of the celebrities were commenting that it was the fastest celebrity port photo shoot I've ever had. It only took 20 seconds. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of people on Twitter who weren't familiar with his work or were familiar with his work and still have hesitations about what it's all supposed to mean, you know, they said, this is BS, this is BS. And then we saw a couple articles that were, you know, trying to quote, educate us on what the real meaning of all this stuff was, um, which I didn't completely buy, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. High Snobriety published uh, an article entitled, if you don't get Jurgen Teller's shoot, maybe Instagram rotted your brain. Um, you know, well, yes, I agree with the second half. Instagram is probably rotting all of our brains. I don't think that makes this work any better. <laughs> <laughs> the, the implication from the article being that things be, have become so curated on Instagram that when we see sort of a reaction to that curation by having these pretty pedantic photos and, and that what Teller's actually doing is making social commentary on the way that photographs are used today. Like, of course, you could construct whatever meta uh, point of view that you want to take on it. But as I wrote last year in my article, it's like if, if people don't get the joke or people don't get the satire, then you're not successful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and some people on Twitter were making the point of comparing them to paparazzi shots, right? These really, you know, not glamorizing the celebrity, but just showing them as they are. 
But honestly, I think the paparazzi shots are better than this. Oh, absolutely. He he <laughs> intentionally will not pay attention to things like, uh, you know, a level horizon. He mm. puts people behind like trees. Like he, he he's unconcerned about composition. And what I will say is some of his earlier work is fantastic. Yeah. Where he still has sort of a satirical, humorous tone towards celebrity. Uh, I've always been a fan of like the Mark Jacobs work from however many years ago that was, you know, 15 years ago or whatever it was. And so I think he's capable of making thoughtful work, which is social commentary at the same time. This stuff is almost like, what can I get away with? Right. You know, and still get paid by these magazines and convince people to think that I'm still like something. And I just think it's, it's really unfortunate that the, his form of pushback against the curatorial look of Instagram or whatever celebrity or whatever is basically zero effort. Yeah, I mean, even uh, a petition, a change.org petition was started by portrait <laughs> photographer Brad Ogbana saying, stop hiring Jurgen Teller until he agrees to go back to shooting film. Yeah, or, or something, right? I have not signed the petition. I mean, the telling thing to me was there were a lot of sort of meme responses on Twitter where people were assembling bad photos of other celebrities and saying, oh, this is the latest Teller shoot. And you couldn't tell whether it was satire or not. And it reminded me of the past four years when like you you just didn't know whether it was an Onion article or not because the reality had gotten so (laughs) skewed, right? And at that point, we just have to reset everything. It's like, let's just create level horizons. Let's, let's think about composition. You know, I I don't know. It's not that hard. Yeah, no, totally. I agree. And I, I would be, I would love to be a fly on the wall of the visual team at W in terms of, you know, why they agreed to this kind of what the point was, what they were trying to say. Um, because I, I'm just not seeing it. I just don't think, I think it's lazy work. I don't think it's good work. I think even with the comparison of like Instagram's rotting your brain or the comparisons to paparazzi shots, it's a, it's just a weak, it's a weak argument to me. I'm sure the celebrities who were photographed for this spread had some sort of non-disparagement clause in their contract, (laughs) but I'd be really curious to know what they actually thought of the the images. Like if it wasn't a a quote famous photographer taking their photos and they got this back, I would be appalled. Yeah. I, I wish that I were following all the celebs he shot on, you know, on social. I'm not, but I would be curious, um, to see, you know, if I, I only saw two men tweet out, you know, oh, I got photographed by Teller, you know, and it was great. And that was Riz Amid. And then like one of the other actors, I'm curious if any of the females tweeted out these pictures. Because I just think they're bad. <laughs> well, Vanessa Kirby from The Crown looks great. It's like a normal, a quote, normal photo. It makes her look glamorous. And then you have yeah, like Tessa Thompson yeah. in a purple shopping cart with horrible lighting. And you Wait, know, sorry, that's somebody else. Oh, that's somebody else. Yeah. Well, sorry, you, have, you have somebody in a purple shopping cart that looks terrible. Right. And <laughs> Stephen Yoon, who's like one of the few Asian actors, you know, sitting in a, in a lawn chair in like a terrible... Uh, it, it, he looks like a child, like yeah. it's like he he photographed him looking like a kid in trouble or something. I I don't know. It's it's <sighs> not flattering. Yeah. It's not fair, and I don't like it. 
Sarah, you were a big uh, proponent of the photo app Huji, weren't you? Didn't you use that a lot? Oh, I was obsessed with Huji. And, and, and remind <laughs> me why that was and whether you're still using it. Yeah, so Huji had that disposable camera look to the pictures. And also, you don't see the image for a few seconds until you've you've taken it and the viewfinder is also really tiny <laughs> on the app unless you click it. So you right. kind of just have to like aim your phone, you know, okay, I think I'm getting this in the frame and click it. It's a very uh you know, ta- it, it reminds you of the tactile experience of using a disposable camera. Well, Hoochie was so, you know, late 2019, early 2020. And the new hotness is the app called Dispo, which is still kind of invite only uh, by the YouTube star David Dobrik. And the company is worth $200 million. And mm-hmm. uh, the, the shtick is that when you take a photo... You can't actually view it until 9 a.m. the next day. That is cool. You like that? I think that's neat. Oh. I <laughs> I think that's cool. I, I don't know if I'm just a sucker for these type of apps, but right. I think that's really neat. Another kind of differentiating thing about Dispo is that you can actually have collaborative film roles. Um, so you're interacting with other users to create content um, around a certain theme. So people will be like, photograph a certain color on this particular role within your home or outside or whatever. So it kind of brings a new aspect to the photo uh, community. I, I guess from the perspective of, you know, back in the day when we used to go out and do social things, You'd have uh, everybody, ha- you know, with their cameras and their their cell phones, taking photos, and then immediately looking at them and sharing them, um, almost to the point where you weren't really present at the, at, at the event that you were attending. In some ways, right? And so, mm-hmm. I guess I can understand from a psychological perspective the value of taking a photo and then having it not be immediately accessible. I push back a little bit, and maybe it's because I'm getting old that we're using technology (laughs) to emulate the really slow and inconvenient parts about analog. And Mm. it's kind of like, if you really want that experience, then just shoot film. Like, why are we trying to emulate things with digital? But I I don't know. The other thing is like, I I feel like this and uh, Clubhouse, they're these sort of whimsical ideas and I just don't know whether they're going to have legs in the long term because mm. when I downloaded Huji and I was trying to like see what I was photographing it's so small I can't tell what I'm looking at yeah I mean true true somebody on Twitter compared Clubhouse to a old school conference call and that made me be like oh my gosh this person is right <laughs> and it made me like the app less <laughs> 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 it's it's like you're logging into a conference call and why would you want to ever do that <laughs> <Right>. in your life? <laughs> I, I just think that, you know, post-pandemic, the, the desire to want to be on these spontaneous calls that are never recorded that you can never hear again is going to be diminished because we're going to want to be out again. And, you know, yeah. I, I don't want to listen to people talk about the photography industry at 10 p.m. at night because I'd rather get drinks with my friends. Totally. Could be totally. wrong. Though. Could be it, wrong. No, but it, it has actually, like, I literally have listened to a clubhouse at 10 p.m. at night just because 
I'm at home, yeah. not out with friends getting drinks. So I, I think there's something to be said about that for sure, about what apps are going to survive past pandemic times. Uh, an app or a website that's really blown up in the past 72 hours is a service that allows you to animate old photos of like your grandparents or people from history from a company called MyHeritage, which licensed the technology from an Israeli company called DID. And I've been seeing tons of different, quote, historical animations, uh, Frederick Douglass, people's grandparents. What was your, uh, what was your impression when you saw these? Oh my gosh, it's so creepy. It definitely reminds me of the live photo feature on the iPhone. Yeah. Um, it also makes me think of like the Harry Potter, how pictures can move uh, <laughs> right. in Harry Potter. Um, but it, it automatically made me want to, like there was a deep want to upload a picture of one of my grandparents yeah. so that I could see what this really looks like. Because when you're looking at a picture of a stranger move, you're like, oh, that looks pretty cool. But I wonder how accurate it would be with someone that I knew. Yeah. So last week we talked about the Zeely daguerreotypes. And yeah. so I signed up for, I created an account on MyHeritage and I uploaded the daguerreotypes, high resolution file <gasps> daguerreotypes of Renti and Delia. Oh my God, Alan, you're going to get sued by Harvard. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I uploaded them and was really disappointed to find that the technology couldn't find faces in the images. <gasps> no. And it was a reminder that a lot of this, quote, AI and facial detection does not work well on black and brown faces. Oh, now, yeah. Wow. I wouldn't say that this is a situation where all black faces are eliminated because... As we mentioned, Frederick Douglass, the most photographed man in the 19th century, has been one of the poster childs for this technology. I will mm. say that the technology is, quote, flawed in the, in the fact that what is clearly a human in which other algorithms can identify facial features like eyes and nose and mouth, this particular implementation can't do it. And so the implementation in some ways is, is racist because it treats, you know, different color skin differently. So there's mm -hmm. that. There's that. So mm -hmm. from, from that standpoint, it's a little problematic. Then definitely, I pulled an old photo that I took of my grandparents while they were still alive. Because, of course, I'm familiar with my grandparents and their mannerisms and how they looked in real life. Mm -hmm. And I was eh, maybe not so surprised, but really disappointed to find that the animation was completely inaccurate. There was oh. nothing about the animation that looked like my grandparents. Oh, really? Yeah. And so the caution I would have is it's really easy to get excited about this implementation of technology that supposedly brings us closer to our ancestors. But what I'm telling you is that because it's built, the animation is built off of a few different models, um, it's not accurate whatsoever in the mannerisms of these people from the past. We are getting mm -hmm. a so false impression. Mm -hmm. It's all just generic motions. Is that what you mean? Yeah, which, I mean, I guess it's sort of cool and insightful because in a sense it's taking some, you know, a static image and creating some motion in it. But sure. it, it's really a deceptive uh, uh, version of these people from our pasts. And I would hate for like a grandchild or a great-grandchild to think that that was an accurate representation of of their ancestors, because it's, it's just not. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it would create a, like a false narrative yeah. in their head. You also uploaded a picture of Agassiz, the person who commissioned the Zeely <laughs> daguerreotypes, the, the racist guy. And it it is, it's just creepy to watch. It's it's creepy, yeah. So you know, after the after the 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 enslaved people images did not work properly, I just wanted to see. Well, you know, did a contemporary photo of a white guy work? And it worked. And it's, you know, it's it's convincing in some ways, and it's cool to look at for the novelty. Um, but again, I just wonder if you saw him when he was alive, whether you'd think it was an accurate representation of his facial features and mm. his mannerisms. And I, I'd mm-hmm. venture to guess, probably not, based on my experience. Fascinating. Yeah. I will say, as we end the show, that there is a TikTok account that has gone viral in the past week as well. Uh, the TikTok Tom Cruise deepfakes. And if you're on TikTok, which I'm periodically on TikTok, because every, uh, every time I turn it on, I, I have to delete it within 24 hours because it drives me crazy. But the account <laughs> name is Deep Tom Cruise. And there are a series of deepfakes of Tom Cruise that are still in sort of that uncanny valley of like, it, it looks sort of fake, but man, we are getting pretty close. I <laughs> I don't know close. how, I don't think it looks that fake. I am convinced yeah. that like, like I wonder what celebrities are going to have to do like Tom Cruise in order to protect themselves against these type of deep fakes coming out of them, you know, doing random things. There was some discussion of whether the deep Tom Cruise account was violating the terms of service of TikTok because it was impersonating someone else. Mm-hmm. I think the name of the, of the account, which, you know, sort of makes it clear that they are deep fakes, kind of makes it fair use, if you will. But I, I do think it's really problematic that you know, we're only kind of two years into the deep fake technology. It was rolled out very quickly in sort of the, the porn sphere as a lot of emergent technologies are. Um, and at that time they were really kind of crappy because the lighting didn't work and the masking of the heads didn't really work that well. But these, when you look at them on the phone and you and you hear yeah. whatever, whoever the voice actor is, I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. a slightly over the top version of Tom Cruise or a very excited Tom Cruise. But yes, the mannerisms, true. you know, insofar that I've watched movies that he's had or interviews, like, it's like 95% there. I agree. I, for some reason during quarantine, finally watched Jerry Maguire. Like, I had never seen it before. <laughs> and <laughs> and all my coworkers thought that that was crazy. So I watched it um, and I, I enjoyed it. But that's my only reference to Tom Cruise and now the deep fakes. And they kind of matched up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all the links that we talked about today, from the Silver List to W Magazine to Dispo to Deep Nostalgia, can be found on our blog at blog.photoshelter.com. And while you're listening, hit that subscribe button, leave us a comment. You can tweet at Photoshelter if you also want to leave us a comment or a question or an idea. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye bye. Photoshelter is the online leader for photography websites and workflow tools. Archive, distribute, and sell your photos in a mobile-friendly, responsive website. Try one free for 14 days at photoshelter.com slash podcast. Then download one of our free educational guides at photoshelter.com slash resources.